Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our music is a, it's like this hand that's reaching into the darkness and grabbing onto people. And people feel that, people connect with it. That's something that we've heard from our fans, you know, that our music is, it's a beacon of hope. That's Jacoby Shaddix from the band Papa Roach. He and guitarist Jerry Horton talk about how the band's music connects with fans, starting their own record label, their admiration of Goth Great's The Cure, and much more on this episode of Behind the Set List. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. This week we talked to two guys from the metal band Papa Roach, singer Jacoby Shaddix and guitarist Jerry Horton. I really enjoyed this conversation. Really interesting guys. Loved hearing about their career and becoming their own bosses since they started their own record label. What did you think of the conversation, Jay? I thought it was amazing. There were a couple of things that were really super interesting. What you just mentioned, you know, what they learned about basically being their own boss, being their own record label. There's a lot of work that goes into, you know, getting the right publicist and doing marketing and all of the things that bands typically rely on a label for and uh it's not for everyone you know our listeners might know papa roach from the new metal days when it was peaking in popularity with bands like limp biscuit and corn papa roach signed with dreamworks records and released infest in 2000 that album went triple platinum in the u.s on the strength of last resort the biggest hit And that was followed by Love, Hate, Tragedy in 2002 and Getting Away with Murder in 2004. And our last album, Ego Trip, was released last year, 2022, self-released on the band's New Noise imprint. Right. And there's also a deluxe edition of Ego Trip that came out this year. And it's got some bonus tracks, like a couple of acoustic tracks, a couple of remixes, uh, a really nice package for uh, this deluxe edition of Ego Trip. Not only have songs like Last Resort and Scars held up really well over the years, Last Resort has nearly 1 billion streams on Spotify, by the way. Papa Roach is a touring machine. They've been out on the road this year already. They're hitting the road in July in the U.S. and then going to Europe for a bunch of festivals. Coming back in September to open for Shinedown for 26 dates through October 20th. That'll be a great bill. If you can't have fun at a Papa Roach show, you probably don't have a pulse. So without further ado, here's Jacoby and Jerry from Papa Roach on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. 
let's kick it off with um, the first thing I noticed when I went through your set list. Man, you don't let up like ever. <laughs> a lot of artists, they'll have this ebb and flow and like, we'll do the power ballad here and we'll slow things down and maybe bring it back up. No, it is just like a solid rocket booster, except for maybe when you get to scars, you know, might kind of drop the tempo a little bit. How do you keep up that pace through that entire show? It's just built in me. I think I just have that like energizer bunny inside of me. I want to, I think lately, cause we've been doing, you know, 60 minute or a 70 minute set on the last, last couple runs. It's like, we just want to get up there and smash, you know, and then we're sharing the stage with other bands, you know, younger bands as well. And it's like, that's, we're like, all right, like we see what you're doing. We need to show you what we got. You know, and so we just whip out all the hits and and the cult classics and fan favorites, and there'll be a deep cut here and there. But uh, right now, it's just like all killer, you know. And and uh, it's, it's funny. We just finished up this tour with the used, and I was like, man, I think we need to throw a couple more valleys in the show. I think I'm ready for some valleys, <laughs> you know. And so I think it's it just depends. Like I guess the mood that the band is in and what we're trying to prove, and that really you know kind of determines but yeah it's like nonstop. you know the the show that i looked at on youtube and, and maybe it was like this for most of the shows there was a bit of an intro and you're talking before scars and you're talking to the audience and that seemed like maybe one of the only points you slow it down a bit not a ballad but at least you're not screeching right and giving your voice a rest is that are there moments like that in the show where you just talk to the crowd and uh, slow it down that way. It's, it's important to, to take a beat and ha make a connection, you know, and make the crowd feel like, Hey, we know, we see you, we notice you, you know? And I mean, we like, there's a lot of crowd interaction within the songs in the show as well, you know, but I think it's important to, to express the gratitude for the fans and also to express the, the fact that our music is a, it's like this hand that's reaching into the darkness and grabbing onto people and people feel that people connect with it. That's something that we've heard from our fans, you know, that our music is, it's like a, it's a, it's a beacon of hope or to them or, you know, when they're bugged out or feeling, you know, backed up against the wall, it's like our music is a, a great release and uh, it's, it's therapeutic, it's cathartic. And so I think to take a moment in the set and express that and, you know, make that connection. Yeah. It, uh, it deepens the bond, I think for, for us with our fans and, uh, you know, not that I'm like trying to trauma bond or something with our people, but you know, that's something that's like, you know, our music is about dealing with, you know, the, the darker subjects in life, you know, and, and, and how to take that, those moments and really, turn them around so we don't have to be self-destructive in our lives or, you know, destroy all the relationships in our, in our lives or yeah, you know, kind of square things up, you know, be a better person. Yeah. You, you touched on that audience participation, which at your shows is phenomenal. And it's not just scars and last resort. Talk about some of the interaction with some of these other songs that you're playing live, whether it's, Yeah. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's all about getting the crowd singing these songs with me, with me and the boys. You know, it's it's a uh, 
I'll, I'll give it to the people straight up. Like in last resort, I'm like, I'll just turn it over, turn the mic over to the people, you know? And then at points we'll jump in and we'll bust into other people's songs within our songs. We started, uh, Jerry, you want to talk about none of the above and the rage piece? Yeah, we got, uh, you know, a song called none of the above. And it's not like something that everybody knows, but you know, flipping it into a rage song, it's like, it's, you know, we put it in the same key and, and it just like sort of seamlessly goes in with what we're doing. And it's just something that kind of kicks people into like, oh, yeah, that, you know, it's just a change of, uh, change yeah. of mood, change of perspective, that kind of stuff. Um, and we, we try and do that throughout the set, whether it's that. We also do, um, we have been doing and we'll probably change it up again at some point uh on the next tour but we've been doing lullaby by the cure uh just as that you know sort of like just music bed um and that breaks up the set and kind of gives people a little like it's it's the the reprieve without just silence kind of thing you know and just it's uh also a way for us to pay tribute to you know bands that we love so yeah it's all those things that you know we've learned over the years from watching our favorite bands and um i think it's it's something that makes the set complete and uh just makes it fun for the the crowd and for us you know because we love doing it you know yeah i remember seeing the roots back in the day and it was like mid song they'd go from their own song and flip into somebody else's music and I just, I, I love that. Like, yeah. I was just enamored by that. I'm like, all right, cool. How the, how the fuck do we do this? You know, and so we found different ways to fit in. You know, we throw a little Ramones into To Be Loved. Uh, we throw a little uh, little Queen into the bridge of uh, Last Resort. Yeah. And, you know, it's like we just kind of, we have fun with it. You know, it's important to not just play the songs, but take the fan up with on a journey within the journey. Yeah. And it's like, it goes by, those moments go by so fast, but it's like, they're just, you know, it's like, it's just another jolt. Like, oh shit, what was that? Yeah. Oh, that was dope. You know, yeah. like, I, yeah. I like those moments. I love it when bands do that. Yeah. Plus it's a lot of fun. I noticed mm -hmm. when you do that, you look at the audience, there's a lot of smiling faces there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Who's the Cure fan in the band? We're all fans. Yeah. They're great. Robert Smith is a G dude. And what a, I mean, just a, a catalog of music. And I think just in a moment in time, like they were just so there was I mean, they had, they were they were in a style like right alternative. They were the beginnings of alternative, I guess. And uh, they were just the ones that stood out to me. You know? Yeah, they perfected putting happy and sad together. And yeah. And and the the, the micro hooks are just everywhere. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, every time I listen to a Cure song, it's just like, there's a hook. Like, you know, just tiny little guitar lines or tiny little keyboard melodies or just everything. You just like find it, finds its place. And you're like, it takes you on a, a emotional ride during the song. And they know how to do that over and over and over again. It's crazy. Yeah. And you touched on something. There's a similarity uh, between... Papa Roach and The Cure in that 
it's heavy and somewhat dark in some ways, both of the repertoire, but it, it, there's also a lot of joy and fun and melody yeah. in there too. Absolutely. It's like, there's a song called help or even with scars when it goes to major in the chorus, it's like, I just, whenever we write music in major, major chords, then I just, I got to write some fucked up on top of it lyrically. I just, it, that's the only way it sticks for me. It's the way only, cause I just, there's, there's gotta be a balance, you know, yeah. like if, if yeah. it's, if it's just, if it's minor and sad all the time, it's just, it becomes like this doom all the time, kind of a, kind of a burden, you know? Yeah. But it can't be too happy because then it doesn't feel and it's like you're just genuine. I mean, which REM is cool, you know what I'm saying? But just that's not our that's not our bag. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, even a song like Help, when we were writing it, uh, we were in the process of making that album Crooked Teeth. Yeah. And Alan Kovac, um, he was the he's the president of Better Noise. At the time, he he had flown out to see us on tour and he was talking to us about the record we were recording and he's just like you know guys you know typical record company situation right it's not done the album's not done and i was like fuck fucking album's done dude like you don't get it and then he's like and then he hit me with something that really kind of made me think he's like well you know there's nothing that's in a major key on this record everything's my everything's dark everything is like where's the where's that moment that just kind of jumps out of the speakers and i was like Oh, wow. Uh, that's actually all right. I hear that. Like, and he referenced one of our older songs, Lifeline, you know, and he's like, you don't have anything in a major key. I'd love to hear something in a major key. Let's just see what you could fucking do. And, you know, begrudgingly, we were like, I would call up the guys. I'm like, this mother. <laughs> Let's go back in the studio. He said, you know, he gave us a critical, you know, a constructive criticism, you know? Yeah. And let's just, let's take it, you know? And so, and we realize, you know, every time we get in the studio and, and we have an intention behind something, something always comes out of the woodwork and, and reveals itself. And we were writing this song and I remember coming in the studio and listening to what the dudes were writing. I'm like, fucking, oh, like this, this happy, you know? And then I was having a conversation outside. I was really in this time. I, I kind of ebb and flow with some, some issues. And uh, it was just one of those low points for me again. And I was telling my producer, you know, my feelings about what was happening. And uh, I pretty much like said the lyric to the song in the chorus, you know, because I was, I was, I was struggle bus for a minute. And uh, he's like, dude, just put that. Let's go in there and put that on the song. Like, put take your everything you're angry about or feeling anxious about, depressed about. Like, put that in there. Let's let's see how that works. And and then when we we, we did that, then the, it it just came came yeah. to life. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes artists we think we got it all figured out all the time, and sometimes it takes that like outside perspective of listening to a body of work and find, you know, saying, Hey, maybe this is, maybe this is what you're missing. And, uh, in that case, he was, he was absolutely correct. Challenge accepted. Um, yeah. and talk about audience participation. I mean, uh, help. That's a, a big sing along joint, uh, thing that you do together with your audience. It's become this big thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's an anthem. It's, it's an anthemic moment in the show. 
where the crowd is, you can just, I could give it to the, I like singing that one, that chorus is, I love singing that chorus. And uh, Jerry, Jerry's singing along in that chorus as well. Like it's just a big, I'd like to say gang vocal, but we'll say vocal because we're not gangsters. Uh, it's a big groove vocal. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just got a vibe on it, man. And that thing, I got a plaque hanging downstairs uh, from from that one. That Born for Greatness on that album cycle. Very proud. Oh, yeah, Jerry, you got it right there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yep. You know, it's like that one hangs proudly within the collection of Papa Roach. Like that one really kind of was the beginning of putting our band back on the map into relevancy in, in the in the rock culture world. And yeah, very important song. And a, and a message, you know, that, you know, there is a lot of conversation about mental health more and more and more lately. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've found myself kind of struggling with it sometimes because maybe sometimes even myself, like I confuse depression with just fucking kind of just dealing with what life is. Like sometimes life it just fucking sucks a little bit and I can call it depression. Or maybe I just need to fucking get off my ass and take care of some shit. You know what I mean? And and I've found that, you know, the more and more I take accountability for my feelings and and do something about it instead of just complain about it, I I always feel better. You know, and that's like eating right, going working out, getting out in the sun, taking vitamin D, taking tons of fish oil, and doing those things getting right on my spiritual level, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I feel good. I'm like, yeah, because you're not treating yourself like shit, you dummy. I think a lot of people... <laughs> you don't... You gotta... Don't don't talk to yourself like that, too, though. I find myself doing that, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, dummy, yeah. You yeah you but, you know, in hindsight, it's like, it's cool to look at yourself like, you fucking dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> when you're doing good. Yeah. You know, I got the impression that, that Help is an important song to you, um, on your April 18th show, I'm watching videos on YouTube and uh, you introduced the song saying, you know, rock and roll gave me a purpose, saved my life. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a, I was a root. I was a, I was a young man with a lot of issues that had a smile on his face. You know, that's who I was. And a lot of things that I think I didn't deal with as a, as a kid that I've learned to deal with as an adult and uh it's it's been a way for me to like untangle this knotted up ass ball of yarn that i got of a life and make sense of it and so yeah man it gives me purpose it gives me it gives me a reason to uh to connect with people it gives me an opportunity to connect with people you know and and make something that's what i feel important in my life this this music is it's very important to me and in turn it's important to a lot of people out there you know and it's a we keep we keep meeting people year in year out show after show that tell us that story that this this music just keeps like grabbing onto them you know and that's a wasn't the intention of the music in the beginning like i just wanted to fucking rip right i just want to rock with the boys and then as i dug into this music and really started to let my walls down it became this cathart really cathartic um experience for me yeah i'm so glad you go ahead 
I was just going to say, I'm so glad you brought up the mental health thing uh, because it's so important today and it's finally coming out that we can talk about these things. And it's like, yeah. hey, you, you, you have a challenge with that thing too? I do too. And we can kind yeah. of talk through it. But what I love about it is it's such a powerful thing mixed with your music and with your fans and how this is very cathartic for them. This is a sort of therapy for them and it's so powerful. And I love that you're using that to, you know, bring this to people's uh, forefront. I think it's really important. Yeah, man. I mean, from what I know about people, uh, men in particular have a real hard time uh, opening up about, you know, their feelings and whatnot. And just because of, you know, culturally and the, and the role of the men in society is, as it's been in the past, you know, it's like fucking pull your bootstraps up and handle your fucking business. And to a certain degree, you got to do that. That's life. But I think that the, the next evolution in, I'd say, masculinity is like being able to be in touch with your emotions and be able to express them in a healthy way rather than just bottle them up. Right. But then also still pull your fucking bootstraps up and fucking handle your business. You know, it's that having that balance I feel. And, and I've found that, uh, for myself, you know, it took me a lot of time, you know, past generations, you know, you hear about, you know, grandpas or our fathers or that just, they just had demons, man. They just, they struggled, you know, and it's, uh, it's important, I think, to be able to, to find a healthy way to express, what's going on inside. I think, uh, especially for men, you know, it's something that I think it's been, uh, a bit more taboo, I guess, or just not part of who we are, but you know, yeah. we got to change, man. What's the difference at the show of communicating with the crowd at the, the veteran status you are versus like when you're in your twenties and talking to the crowd and was your show like a group therapy session? back in the day is it is it different now yeah Jerry, it wasn't a different way like it was it was just it was way more like just you know fuck shit up like yeah. just put your fucking head you know ex express that your feelings through just anger and yeah. beating beating each other up kind of thing and for our for the time period for our for how old we were and kind of that period of our lives that that's and and also the the type of music that we were doing it just every all of that just went hand in hand and i feel like for that time period it wasn't necessarily wrong like that's just that's where we were and and pretty much all, all of our peers were mentally and and stylistically yeah. and you know that's just where everybody was at and it, it felt natural, but we're growing up as people and our music has matured as well. So it's just about finding a way to grow up, but not like lose who we are, lose our, lose our, like our edge, you know, our rockness, like keep the rockness, but don't be all. Yeah. I grow I all the time. There. I don't have know? to get up there with a microphone and smash it in my head anymore. You no. know, like I, used to, right. I used to bash a microphone yeah. in my head. I would just bleed. Yeah. You know, and it was just like this, like, 
I'm fucking angry. So I'm going to hurt myself experience. You know, that was like, I was just, you just burning myself with cigarettes just to get a reaction. You know, like I was, I had like maybe watched the Gigi Allen documentary a couple too too many times at one point, I think, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just like, I think like, like Jerry says, man, you just evolve and change and mature and, and learn and, I think that's been the evolution of who we are, you know, where it's like now or like we talk about our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk we about We so hard, motherfucker, you know? <laughs> you know? You've got a show coming up in about a week or so where you're playing a festival. And I'm wondering, what is the difference between crafting a set list when you're playing maybe a, a festival that might be a little shorter slot as opposed to one of your full-on shows, what's what's the mindset in in crafting that when you might be at a festival where some people may be seeing you for the first time? I mean, that's just going to be we're doing Sick New World coming up. Yeah, that's Sick New World. That's going to be it. Um, we were supposed to do Bamboozle, but we got bamboozled, so <laughs> <laughs> that ain't happening. Um, but yeah, Sick New World. I mean, that's a total celebration of like the early two thousands in that whole era. So I definitely feel for that show. It's going to be all the heavier, heavier elements of who we are. I mean, we're still going to play like still got to play stars. I feel like yeah, it's still got to play help. I feel like, but the rest of them, it's, we just got to smash, you know, and play a prop, maybe a couple extra old school tracks just cause it's that show is about celebrating that era. Yeah. You know, it's like you got alien ant farm on that show. You got, Corn, uh, Deftones, System of a Down, Coal Chamber, like all that Static X, like just that time, right? That was a it was a snapshot in, in music. So, you know, we're just gonna go there and smash them. I might even smash my head with a microphone. I don't know. Celebrate old times. You were able to throw in some covers and your headlining set. The set we're looking at, April twenty fourth is. 16 songs according to setlist fm we think we think that's 16 give or take one of the covers you do is prodigy's firestarter which is a you guys do a pretty faithful version to the original it's a great song do your fans know that song or is that something you're playing for yourselves or is it both i think enough i I think enough of our fans know it it's definitely i feel i mean i don't know i feel like it's just as much for us as it, as it is for them maybe a little more for us yeah but it it's it's just got that that tempo that bounce tempo and it's just another you know the highlight to the set that's just like you know we have our our normal like we front load a lot of like heavier stuff in the beginning of the set and then <laughs> i feel like on this last tour we kind of like gave them gave the fans like maybe an idea that we were about ready to slow it down but then <laughs> yeah just smashed them again right back into a you know fire starter but um yeah that one i i don't know if we're i mean i guess we'll take it out eventually but it's been yeah, it's in for like out. what three years yeah it's it's become kind of part of it it just it, it's fun i think too when you when we do a cover because you know, in the past, we hadn't done a lot of covers in our career, you know, and this one just felt, felt well, it felt right. You know, the reason we started doing the one, uh, the cover is uh, Prodigy was supposed to play 
Sonic Temple Festival, and obviously they had to cancel because uh, we lost Keith. And the promoter had called me up, and he's like, "All right, she sent me a text. He's like, you know, something to the effect of, I'm sure you've heard the news. You're the first motherfucker that I felt I wanted to reach out to and see if you could come fill their slot. Wow. And if you say yes, you got to do something to honor the prodigy. And we're just like, yes and yes. And so we were trying to figure out what song was the right one. And obviously Firestarter was like Keith's, that was his joint, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we, when we got into rehearsal and started working on it, it, it fucking smashed. We were like, Oh yeah, this is dope with the guitars just ripping through it. And, uh, then we performed it at Sonic temple and it was just a, that was a, honestly like that moment, that show, it was a peak core memory for me like when i get when i'm sitting laying on my deathbed like that's going to be a moment i look back to in my life because it was like headliner slot we just brought this big ass production and it was just the fucking moment and the fucking stadium was filled every seat was every fucking seat was filled the whole crowd was going buck and it was just this it was it was a great moment for papa roach and it was a great moment to to honor the memory of, of, a, of a electronic punk rocker, rock and roller legend. Legend. Yeah. Keith Flint, you know? And then after that, we, we did a tour of the UK and it was like, well, dude, we got to fucking play this in the UK, dude, and celebrate them out there. And so it just became part of the show. And now we just rip it. We just did it in, in a, uh, on, we did a tour in the UK with this group, Don Broco. And Rob, the guitar player for Prodigy, came out and did it with us, uh, and it was fucking. Just, it was so. Cool. It was rad. It was rad. It was cool. That's amazing. We were looking at setlist.fm for kind of you know which songs that you play the most and which cover tunes you do from time to time. I'm going to rattle off just a couple of cover tunes and tell me if these were done as standalone covers or if they were kind of incorporated into your songs. So there yeah. was Faith No More, Queens of the Stone Age. Eminem, uh, Lose Yourself, and and Stone Temple Pilots. Were those kind of standalone, or were you kind of putting those together with your own songs? So Faith No More, we did, uh, what was it, Naked in Front of the Computer? Or no, Gentle Art of Making Enemies? Oh. But we did both of those. Yeah, we did. We did, yeah, Naked in Front of the Computer. Were, that was, yeah, That was fun. And then we did, uh, which one did we do where Billy Gold was there, the bass player for Faith No More? He was side stage, and we did it. I think it was gentle. I think Art that was Art. naked in front. Mm, gentle art making enemies. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I got a funny story. So we're in Germany at this festival called Bazaar, and I got this band that I love called the Beat Stakes. They're a German band, and I go over to side stage to go watch Beat Stakes, and I'm like, "Holy fuck, dude! There's Billy Gould from Faith No More. Oh my god!" So I'm watching the show, and then I introduce myself, and I'm like, "Hey, man." You know, my name is Jacoby. I sing from Papa Roach. Uh, huge fan. Uh, you know, you know this. And uh, I was like, I love these dudes' beat stakes. He's like, I'm producing their new album. And I'm like, oh, fucking, my mind's blown, right? And I'm like, dude, we're doing a Faith No More cover on this tour. What do you think? You know, when you, if you got a moment, come and check our set out, you know? And so we start the song. And right when the band breaks in, dude, we fuck it up. We've been playing this thing perfect for fucking... 
months and fucking i'm just like so embarrassed we're all just like oh god i'm like hold on do over plastic do over and we ripped it man and it was great and he came up after the show and gave us all kudos and you know he was just he was super cool about it and so that was a that was a cool moment but yeah man we totally beefed it and uh yeah but whatever and then what was the other one you said uh uh the queens of the stone age we did uh what was that? Nicotine volume back in the water. We did that at the end of it was like it was it Broken Home? Uh yeah. Yep. Yeah, we we feathered it into the song Broken Home. We were like, what were all the drugs that never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed fitting, you know? Why would you come from a broken home? Maybe because of nicotine volume, Vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol. Yeah, and it was Broken Home where you would sometimes play a little yeah. bit of Lose Yourself. Yeah, Lose Yourself. We dropped that in just recently again. And, uh, you know, just to kind of like take the fans on this journey of this moment in time, you know, I, I kind of set it up. I'm like, we're going to take you back to like 2001. I think that's when we did that tour, Anger Management Tour, you know, Eminem, Limp Biscuit, Papa Roach, Exhibit, you know, and then we go into this Eminem little drop and the crowd's like, oh shit, you know, so it's a cool little, a cool way to, to celebrate, you know, musicians we respect, music we love. And then uh, the Stone Temple Pilots, which one did we do, Jerry? It was uh, like, I think it was, I think it was a sex type thing. Fuck, I can't yeah, even see Yeah, long. that's right. Yeah. I know. Man, but we didn't do that for very long. No, we didn't. Still yeah, that didn't. That one didn't stick. Yeah, I think we did it a few times. We we're like, that's ah, cool, but it's it's not. Scott and the boys, they do it way better, you know. Yeah. And fuck, that, I I got to tell you though, there was a moment back in, it's like two thousand and two or two thousand three. We uh, opened up for Stone Temple Pilots in Wheatland. They had that that big old amphitheater out there. And I remember being in the audience uh, after we performed, all of our friends, our wives, our family, we're all out in the audience. We're like, got to watch this from front of house and just soak it in. Because they had just dropped that album four, I think it was, uh, with the big star on it. I think that's what it was. And uh, the show was just, it was like greatest, it was greatest hits. You know, all these songs that I loved. And I remember afterwards, all of us sitting backstage just going, that's what we want like that what they're doing right there that's what that's what i want to do like that's the vision like we that's the vision we had and they showed us what the adult version of the vision is and and now 20 plus years later for us now we're in that place where we're where we're you know a headliner and when we play a set it's like we're taking people oh fuck uh, that song too oh and that one too and that one and you know it's like it's a it was cool to witness that, you know, STP really like embodied that for me in that moment. Let's jump kind of toward the end of the set. Um, second to last track is, or second to last song is last resort. Probably maybe with scars, your best known song, if not your best known song, it's got a little attention lately. It was featured in a Showtime series, yellow jackets. And, you know, I think back a couple of years ago when I saw this really good documentary on Vice about that song that was really cool. Uh, well done on that. So where do you slot 
that song in the set for years it's usually yeah it's usually bringing up the rear there was one tour where we just said you know what fuck it let's put it play it first <laughs> yep we opened the show with it it was yeah it, every, it fucking smashed yeah it, did. it kicked it yeah. off I everybody think, was just like oh but you have to have a, another song to back it up right you can't if you only have one song you can't start out with it so we got we got a we got we have a, a pretty when we're doing our own when we're doing outboard headliners we can put it wherever the fuck we want our crowd's gonna stick with us you know but when we're say on a festival it's like you know you want to have that banger at the end because it's like it's that climax you know and uh it's lately our struggle has been do we play it at the very very end or do we play it like you know a couple songs before the end and uh there's an internal there's an internal battle yeah there's an internal battle within the band of where it sits in the show yeah and uh, tony our drummer he's always about a good ender whether it's (laughs) food you know when you're having dinner and you're you can't the last bite can't be like a wonky bite it's got to be the best bite like that's (laughs) That's the way he looks at things. Like it's always to a climax. And, uh, you know, but I look at it and I'm like, well, fuck dude, last resort. It's like, you get, it's like you get this peak energy out of the people and then you can carry that into another song yeah. or two and keep the energy high. Yeah. And so it's a, it's an internal battle, you know, yeah. in the set list we looked at, you did born for greatness after last resort and it worked yeah. really well because it's so cinematic and so huge and so big that I, I see what you're saying you can kind of carry that energy it doesn't have to be the last song of the set exactly that's like it, you nailed it with what you said it just feels like the rolling credits of a, of a great movie you know and, and uh, it's that's another one Jerry you got that plaque right there dude up there like we started getting plaques again. That was what, you know, in the last like five some odd years, six years of, you know, making these last few records, it's like Born for Greatness, another song that is so outside the box um, for what we normally do stylistically. Uh, but I remember when we did the album Crooked Teeth, that was the first song that we went and wrote and recorded for the album. We were like, you know what? It's time to shake this thing up again. I, we all kind of felt like we were starting to sound like an average white guy rock band and it just kind of like no disrespect to rock radio because I, I we're a rock radio band but how do we shake that fucker up and so when we went in we wrote this song as a statement you know we're like all right guys this we're fucking we're doing something different and we went and did that song and we were all floored by it we were just like we left going oh fuck and this is sick and then I remember like the uh, the producers that were uh, on the album, they tried to get us to write like how many different drops did we write for that? Jerry? There was like two or three. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, all right, we tried it. And then we went back to the OG, just that bluesy riffy thing you did. And it was like, it all, it all fit. It was like, we were right the first time. And it's, it's just such a great anthem and it's so positive, man. It's so like, it's such a uplifting kind of track that it's a great way to leave a show. I feel a great way to leave a show. Like, yep. yeah. Ego trip you released on 
your own imprint, New Noise Records. Tell us about why you decided to become your own bosses, release a record. Jerry, why? Why did we do this? <laughs> well, I, I just, I think everything kind of lined up. Uh, you know, we we had been talking about kind of doing things on our own for a while. And, um, you know, we had come to the end of our term with, you know, better noise. And we just saw it as an opportunity. And it, it was just kind of like, you know, that's that's kind of as as we look at the business side of things, it's it's like we go we we always go back to uh, something that David Bowie said was I had to become a better businessman to become a better artist. And it kind of just hit us in the face. We're just like, this yeah. is this is what we need to do. Here's the and opportunity. Here it is. Time to seize it. And so we did. And, you know, it was it was a lot more work uh, for us, but also even more so for our management team. And, you know, the, the key was just finding all the right people to, to help us out with it. And but then also it was up to us to also find the, the creative people to work with to A&R, basically A&R the record ourselves and you know make all the decisions up front as far as like producers uh creative direction you know videographer you know all those people and it was it was scary obviously yeah. because all those decisions were ours to and and we had to own it yeah uh, but it gave us a lot of freedom and and it I think it, it energized us in, in a way that we hadn't seen ourselves before just because we had that responsibility, but at the same time we had that freedom and we didn't have to ask anybody for anything. And it was just like, we would deliberate, you know, talk about things, uh, Had we, we had uh, what we call brain hurricane sessions. And I just feel like, it was something we needed needed to do, whether we fell on our faces or not. Uh, thankfully, we didn't. You know, yeah. we're pretty damn successful for a first release, and yeah. uh, you know, and now it's like we 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 take this and the, and the lessons we learned from it, and figure out where we need to go next and where to take not only our releases, but potentially other releases. So, so David Bowie was right. Yeah, he was right. Absolutely. Talk about some of the things that you learned. I mean, that's like being paid to go to school. Uh, you know, for <laughs> us, it was like, just don't talk about it. Be about it. Like, it can't just be, it can't just, you can't just say a bunch of shit. It's like, all right, Let's talk about how we're going to create this and then let's go find the people to do it and then execute it. And that that's very important because that's the shit that we would get mad at about with working with other teams and other people would be like, well, fuck, you talked a big game, but then you didn't come through. Right. So then it's like we had to talk the big game and dream big dreams and then come through with it. And and we've hit the mark on some of it. And you know, we've missed the mark on a, on a few things. And I think the thing that we've, we've really learned, I I've learned is like, you got to be way ahead of the fucking 
to execute a plan, it's like it had the vision has to be a year before, a year and a half before, because to get people to jump into the fucking vision with you, it takes time. And, uh, you know, I feel like we have a good track record, um, I guess, uh, release song release wise and, and the songs that we choose to release as singles. Um, you know, the thing that I've learned is that the life of a song, it's hard to predict the, the life of a, of a song when you release it to the fans and it goes to radio and then you release the music video, how long that tale will be for that. How long, you know, what's the arc of it? It's hard to predict those things. And so this next time around, we're kind of like, are, are we going to do a full album or are we just going to release? Cause we've released so much music in the last two years, whether it's a live, uh, stream of our first album infest we re-recorded some of those songs we did multiple remixes i did multiple guest uh vocal tracks for other with other groups and then we released our whole album and then we released remixes of songs on the album and reimaginations and it's like it's we've like inundated our fans with tons of art that next time or the next full release that we do, it's going to be like, what's the tip of the spear? Like, it's just going to be one song that is waterfalled with a reimagination and a remix and maybe a, a guest that'll drop, you know, a month later, two months later, three months later to like reinvigorate the track, but really just focus on one track worldwide and try it like that and, and see how that goes. It's it's all, it's all fucking experimentation. There's no, there's no formula right. to this thing. It's like, so people just start doing things because other people start doing things. Really, that's what this business is. It's like, oh, they did it. That works. Let's try that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, I think the next time it's just like more focused, you know. So and we'll do a full release down the road. But right now, I think we're just going to release a few tracks. Just kind of ride it for a minute. Let's keep it on the business side. And when I go to concerts, I tend to hang around the merch table a lot. I like seeing what the prices are, what the offerings are, what people are buying. How involved are you guys in your merch, and what are the big sellers? Is it the black T-shirt with the logo? Is it the T-shirt with the tour dates? Is it vinyl? Are you taking vinyl out on the road? What sells well for you? Yeah, the tour shirt is usually the best uh, with all the dates on it. Um, uh, but yeah, we're lucky in that our management—you know, our management. Two of our managers were previously at merch companies, so they're like dialed in you know with what generally what works we've we've creatively we've had to kind of educate them and then also educate our fans you know just to try and you know try new things do things that we like but then also find out what they like it's been a process but yeah. i think we, we we've i think we've got a pretty good flow happening especially like not only having fresh stuff on tour, but then also doing drops, limited run stuff, uh, people like that in, as well. Yeah. So, I've really enjoyed doing the limited drop thing. Yeah, where it's like we'll come up with something that's themed around you know maybe a moment in time or a particular song or like you know this this we're about to drop another like capsule right where it's like three or four shirts that are within a theme, and that thing is it's that little like business model is kind of working for us right now. It's fun. It's a limited run. Then it makes it 
for for the fan it's like it's a collectible piece you know if you're like the hardcore fan it's like oh i got that drop oh and i got this other drop man yep. And yep. so i think that having like that limited run stuff is cool but then also we surprise ourselves with you know on tour it's like we found we did this like green uh kind of tie-dyed shirt with this animated uh cockroach from the ego trip album artwork and it was one of our best sellers on one of the tours and we're like oh fuck it's not a black t-shirt that's selling out selling every like so it's it's always ever changing but you know it's like the the black concert rock t-shirt just fucking always murders and you know it's like skulls sell we know that but it's <laughs> like you know how many shirts do you want to have fucking skulls on them and that's an internal fucking battle i'm like you know cuz our fans love them but then we're like god that shit's played but then it's like, all right, well, how do we do something creative with it that's different that, you know, the fans want? So it's a ma- it's it's that beast of like trying to please the band, but then also p- please the fan, because like our music, uh, it's we're always trying to push the envelope a bit, right? And so sometimes we're ahead of like where our fans are, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. And I also think that having Carl, which is the Roach, yeah, uh, definitely has. It's helped us like, you know, inch away from this, just having the skull, you know what I mean? It's like Carl's become our skull and it's, it's a cool, like middle ground for us. Like it's, it allows us to put our stamp on it without just having the logo and a skull. And, you know, the, it's something for the fans to, to kind of latch onto as well. And we've, we've seen a lot of other bands, you know, merch really well. And we'll watch what they're, well, what's their recipe? What are they doing? Like, how is, how is their business so sharp, you know? And, and that's something that for us, it's always a challenge. It's like, I think as we get older, it's like, that shit's fun for us. Like, how do we fucking smash this shit? It, we could talk to you guys all day. Um, just so excited to talk to you and so thrilled that you're back out on the road. I know you have this festival, then you have a bunch of European dates, and then you're coming back for a bunch of U.S. dates. We'll definitely see you out on the road, but we really appreciate you guys taking a few minutes out of your day to talk with us. It's been great. Yeah, it's been awesome. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys covering what we're doing, man. It's fucking keeping that rock alive, baby. <laughs> <laughs>